This is Adam Hill, the minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. I always tell our church family, read your Bible. You'll be a better Christian. My prayer is that this Bible-based sermon will help you follow Christ more faithfully. Let's learn together as we study the Word today. Remain standing for the reading of God's Word. From 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul writes, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the strength that only you give. We thank you for your ability. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to learn today more of what it means to follow in the steps of your son, Jesus. And I pray that you will open our eyes and open our minds open our hearts and open our lives so that we will incorporate what it is that we are learning. That your light will fill us. Speak today, Father, for your children are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Some of you just, you're like, mm, I will do what I'm told when I'm told. <laughs> but until then, all bets are off. We'll see. So key to every comeback story, which we've been studying for quite a few weeks now, key to every comeback story is this moment that uh, Pastor Louis Giglio calls the zero moment. And that's the moment, the zero moment is the moment when you fully accept that if there's going to be a comeback, something has to change. The zero moment is when you absolutely and definitely know you cannot continue in the direction that you're heading. And that zero moment is vital and it's necessary. I remember in my own relationship with my father, and many of you who have listened to me or have heard me talk about my story know that me and my father have a very difficult relationship. And it came from when I was in high school, when I was uh, 17, when I was a senior, my parents divorced. And my father had made some mistakes, had been doing some things that were really unhealthy, and, had, and, and that had really affected our relationship. And I didn't want to like, I didn't like him, and I didn't want to like him. I was angry, so angry, and that became, that became my addiction. 
being addicted to my anger. So much so that, that when I decided I needed to, if I were going to consistently call myself a Christian, I needed to try and let grace have its way in this broken relationship. But I was so angry that I was worried that if I let grace have its way in this relationship, I would lose myself. I wouldn't know who I was anymore. And so I I would pray every day, God, help me to forgive my father. Help me to forgive my father. Help me to forgive my father. And one day God kind of got a hold of me. And he said, Adam, what if your dad's not the problem anymore? And he said, what if there's a statute of limitations on how long you can blame your parents for you being a jerk? God's pretty blunt with me. He may be more gentle with (laughs) y'all. And he said, what would your dad have to do in order for you to forgive him? And the answer was, when I was honest with myself, there was nothing that my father could do that would make me forgive him, which meant the problem wasn't with him anymore. The problem was here, that my heart was in the way, that I was, I was saying the prayers, but my heart was in the way. And that was the zero moment when I realized if I wanted that prayer to be true, that I wanted grace to have a chance at reconciling me to my dad, I had to stop thinking he was the problem. I had to start recognizing my own hard-heartedness, that anger, and I had to deal with that. I had to find a way to deal with that. I had to talk to someone. I had to go get some help in order for me to get past the anger I was holding in that was keeping that reconciliation from ever having a chance. I couldn't continue in what I was doing. That's the zero moment. Every comeback story reaches one of those that I have to change direction. Now, they are essential and they are necessary, but, but to be honest, I don't simply want to focus on your zero moment. I'm not trying to get you to say, hey, zero moments are what we're thinking about today. I actually want to talk to you not about the emptiness that is that zero moment. I want to talk to you about what comes on the other side of that emptiness. What comes when we live into the purpose that God has given us and we experience the comeback that God has planned for us. You see, here's what I've learned. And this is kind of the thesis statement. This is the most important thing I'll probably tell you today. That the important part of your life is not the time you spend living out your failings. The most important part of your life is the time you spend living out your true purpose and identity. The most important part of my story is not the things that went wrong now so many years back ago that it seems like I've been telling this story too long. The important part of my life is what lies ahead of me 
as I live out my identity in Christ because that's where the comeback is. That's where forgiveness was found even for my father. That's where reconciliation began to do its work. It doesn't mean I get excited when he calls. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm like I'm the only one. Man, y'all see that call come in from your parents and you're like, dang it. Is there anyone? They loved you more than you would ever know and you still have the audacity. Mm -mm. Not right now. I, I, I'm preaching now. I'm, I'm meddling in people's lives. Y'all need to watch it. Purpose, the important part of life is the time that I spend in my true purpose and my true identity. And who we really and truly are is who God created us to be. And our true identity is found in the light of God. Now there's perhaps no clearer example of this in Scripture uh, than the Apostle Paul. Who if you're reading in your Bible, went by the name Saul until his zero moment. All right, as Saul, now here's the deal. As Saul, he was successful. As Saul, he was powerful. But he was so far from the purpose that God had for him. All right, so as we think about the other side of empty, I want to read to you two verses from Ephesians. We've been in our college Bible class really digging in and studying Ephesians, and I can't help but share some of this with y'all for my Right? Pretty standard so far, but I want, I want to dig in because I think there's four truths found in these two verses, exhibited in these two verses, about what it means to live on the other side of empty. Okay, and the first truth is that God has the power to change our destiny. God has the power to change our destiny. Now, if I go back and I start reading from Ephesians 1, I'm not going to make it very far before I realize I need to stop and talk about it. You ready? Here's, here's, where, here's where the sermon comes home. You ready? Paul, right there. I got one word in. I got one word in and I had to stop because I found the gospel one word in. Paul introduces himself. He writes a letter to the church in Ephesus and begins with an introduction where he says, this is me, I'm an apostle of the Lord, I'm an ambassador for the Lord, and my name is Paul. Not Saul. Here's the backstory. After Jesus was resurrected and had ascended into heaven, and the new church was born, not everyone was really thrilled about that. Some of the religious leaders, as a matter of fact, some of the Jewish leaders were very upset about it, and they tried to oppose it. And they tried as hard as they could to squash what they considered to be a heresy. 
One leader in particular tried very hard to stamp out the early faith in Jesus. And his name was Saul of Tarsus. But you can read this in the book of Acts. Saul was born into a good Jewish family. But that's not all he had. He had the immense privilege of also being a Roman citizen. Which means he was among the best educated people of his time. And that's good because he was bright. He was sharp. He was also zealous. And he rose quickly to be a leader within his own religious system. And like most Jews, he was looking for the Messiah. But he was not convinced that Jesus was that one. He developed a deep hatred toward Jesus and the resurrection story. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted to do. Whatever was necessary to stop the spread of the resurrection story. He could arrest people. He could ransack their homes. He could have them killed. And he did all of these things. One day though, he was headed toward the town of Damascus. To put down a recent uptick in Christian belief. But while he was on the way, he had an encounter with the risen Jesus in a vision. And the, the radiance of the glory of Jesus was so bright that it blinded him physically. That it knocked him to the ground. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Zero moment. That vision shut Paul or shut Saul down. He couldn't see for a few days. And then God sent a disciple to heal him and tell him what was happening in his life. And he was informed that God was taking him out of the business of crushing the gospel and putting him into the business of spreading the gospel. His entire destiny was changed, and so was his name. For the rest of the story, he's called Paul. You see, this is the power of the gospel. The gospel can change a dreadful story. A dreadful past into an amazing future. Here's what it means if I break it down into into, into the simplest terms I know. We are not what we were. We are not what we were. Okay, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've been. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what's been said about you, whether it's true or false. It doesn't matter if you were the worst of the worst. It doesn't matter. You may have hated Jesus. God still wants to redefine, totally redefine who you are, to literally turn your world around, 
to remake your whole destiny in Christ. Amen? Second truth. Our circumstances don't stop God. Our circumstances do not stop God from fulfilling God's plans and purposes. Before a comeback arrives, it's easy for us to feel stuck in our circumstances. And to be honest, circumstances can be pretty awful sometimes. In fact, do you know where Paul is when he's writing this letter? (laughs) Yes, he's imprisoned. He's got chains on his wrists. Let me give you the backstory here. Years after his name was changed, Paul left Jerusalem, planted churches all across the Mediterranean world. One of these was in a port city known as Ephesus. Over 100,000 people lived in Ephesus. Paul spent two years of his life there, preaching and teaching God's word, raising believers up in the truth, and, 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 he, and he had a job making tents in order to have enough money to stay there so that he could plant this new church. After two years, he left Ephesus and the church that he had planted, and he came to Jerusalem. When he arrived, he learned that some of the religious leaders had a plan to take him out. So he slipped out to a place called Caesarea, where he stayed until those same religious leaders finally tracked him down. This time, instead of running, Paul pulls out his citizenship papers and says, well, if you're going to try me, then you're going to do it legally with me as a citizen, and I'm going to appeal to Rome. Put me on a boat, I'm going to talk to them. They had no choice but to put him on a boat and sail him to Rome. God had already, Jesus had already told Paul, you will speak to rulers across the world to share the gospel. And here is Paul headed to Rome in order to stand trial before those rulers that Jesus had told him about. Paul lived in house arrest for two years in Rome awaiting trial. Now the emperor at that time was a fellow named Nero. Not a lot of kids named Nero these days. That's... That's usually a good sign that this person's not considered a hero. Nero is a zero. No, um, okay. It rhymed. They'll remember it. Uh, And so, uh, we've got Nero. Now, Nero was famous for his persecution of Christians. He set Rome on fire and then blamed the Christians. Okay, then what he liked to do is he liked to round up Christians, impale them on poles set them on fire, and use them to light the streets. He was not what we would call stable. (laughs) And it is from this dangerous place, imprisoned and waiting on a trial with Nero, that Paul writes... This letter, the Holy Spirit moves him to write this letter to the Ephesians. Notice that when Paul begins the letter, he does not bemoan the fact that he is locked up. 
Paul doesn't lead saying, I wish I could do something for you, but I can't because I'm in prison and y'all should be doing something for me. Instead, he begins with a huge encouragement. It's almost as if Paul is saying to them, even if you're under house arrest and the emperor you're wanting to talk to is a complete psycho who hates you and everything you stand for, the Holy Spirit can still flood into your life in really powerful ways. And I might be in chains, but my circumstances cannot limit God from doing what God wants to do in my life. You may be stuck in your circumstances. But God is not stuck. Man, I, I got to say that again, Kenny. We almost reacted to that. We almost, people thought for a moment, that might be good news. And then I think they, ah, maybe. I think we ended right there. So I'm going to try it again. You might be stuck in your circumstances, but God is not stuck. There we are. There we are. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in, you need to know that those circumstances will never hinder God from doing what God wants to do in your life. Truth number three. God starts with who we are, not what we do. God starts with who we are, not what we do. I want you to look closely at what he says in the second half of verse one. I promise I'm preaching this text. It's just taken a while. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus. The faithful in Christ Jesus. To God's holy people. To God's holy people. The word there, if you wanted a literal translation, is to God's saints. To the saints in Ephesus. We don't use the word saints very often to describe ourselves. We tend to use that word to describe superheroes of faith. But that's the word that Paul chose to use describing these believers who were not superheroes of faith. They were ordinary people saved by God's grace just like you and me. And they are saints. You are saints. You see, God starts with who we are before talking about what we do. Identity precedes activity. Most of the time, religion starts with what you do and then works toward what you might become. But God works differently God starts with who we have become by the miracle of grace that through an act of faith we're connected with Jesus and something inside us, everything we are, changes. If we're saints, it means that I'm a miracle. And so are you. My name has been changed. And so is yours. We are new creations. 
We are saints. And we get to be holy because we've put our faith in Christ. Holiness is handed to us by Jesus. Holiness is placed upon us and and, and placed inside of us. And God reminds us of who we are. And when we are reminded of who we are, we can head towards holy living. You are saints. And, 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 And that doesn't mean you'll never sin again. Sure, we will sin, but I need you to know this. You are not at your core a sinner anymore. At your core, you are a saint. This brings me to, tr- to truth number four from this, and it's from verse two. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The way of Jesus is the way of grace and peace. When we know our identity in Christ, it affects how we live. We are marked by grace, which means way less striving to prove myself and way more trusting in God's power to do what only God can do. So our lives become marked by peace and grace. You see here, this is key. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are not joining an organization. We are joining with Jesus himself. Our goal is not to get inside a building. Rather, our goal is to join the person of Jesus Christ. Later on in this letter, Paul's even going to write him and say, by the way, you are the building. You people are being built up into the holy temple. You're not not trying to join an organization. You're not trying to get inside a temple. You're trying to join a person. You see, and when we put our faith in Christ, our lives and stories, our pasts and presents and futures are inseparably linked together with Jesus' life and story, with Jesus' past and present and future. That our abilities are joined to his abilities. That our dreams are joined to his dreams. That our destiny is joined to his destiny. We are not simply admiring someone. We are joining Jesus. And I wish I had time, like I spent with the college students, to read you all of the first 14 verses of this letter to show you what all is happening in Christ. If you you read those 14 verses, you'll find that 10 times Paul uses the phrase in Christ to let you know what God is doing for you when you are joined with Jesus. He says you are blessed in Christ. You are redeemed in Christ. You have forgiveness of sins in Christ. You were chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. You were included in Christ. You were made aware of the plans of God in Christ. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit in Christ. You are loved in Christ. And it is in Christ where hope comes to find us. And none of this 
is based on how we feel. Nor is it the result of our circumstances. Rather, it is our reality that comes from the instant that we place faith in Christ. That is our reality. You see, you're joined with Jesus. And if Jesus died, I died. And if Jesus rose, I rose. And if Jesus lives, I live. And if Jesus wins, I win. And if Jesus can, I can. If Jesus won't, I won't. If Jesus would, I would. If Jesus says rise above it, I rise above it. If Jesus says walk in this way, I walk in it. If Jesus says these are the people I want you to love and serve, then those are the people that I want to love and serve. If Jesus says these are the ways I want you to spend your resources, those are the ways I spend my resources. I am linked with Jesus and nothing, nothing, nothing can shake that. Can you go ahead and bring your team up? If I'm this excited, I got to be close to the end. <laughs> you see, being linked with Jesus does not mean that there are no more challenges and trials and setbacks and pain. Here's the truth of it. Difficulties can be a part of the comeback process. But Paul put his perspectives or his difficulties in perspective, didn't he? He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul lived for Jesus and held on to hope in Jesus. Paul spread the good news of Jesus. Paul spread light into the darkness because of Jesus. Paul's story wasn't even about Paul anymore. It was about Jesus. Paul's story had been completely rewritten. And listen to me. That can be your story too. The most important part of your story is not where you've been or what you've done. The most important part of your story is that by faith, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And it is the hope of glory. 
that you are united with Jesus and that you have a brand new answer to the question of who you are, that everything has changed in your comeback and you are in Christ right now and forever. And that is truly who you are. Amen? Amen. Now maybe today, maybe today is your zero moment. And you have yet to say, all right, that's enough. I'm tired of trusting me. I'm tired of relying on me. I'm ready for it to be you, God. I'm ready for your comeback story. I'm ready for your purpose. I'm ready for your will. I'm ready for your way. I'm ready to be united with Christ. I want to be joined with him, and I want to have the life that he has. I'm ready today, and if that's you, don't let this opportunity pass. Commit yourself to Christ, and we will baptize you into Christ today. You can begin that comeback story. It can be yours. Let's stand and let's sing together. And if you want to come to Christ, then come forward while we stand and sing. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, check out www.rochestercoc.org. There you can find links to other teachings, opportunities to join our family and serve, as well as ways to support our work. It truly is a wonderful time to be the church. I pray that you're blessed. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.